Welcome to 321 Go the Podcast. I'm John Pelkey. And I'm Carissa Galloway, and we're bringing you stories from start to finish to keep the everyday athlete motivated to keep moving towards the next finish. Uh, Carissa, today we have a TikTok star and a triathlete with a truly remarkable story. I'm not overusing that word. No, and it's so remarkable that I don't even want to tease any of it because I think you guys have to hear it in Noel's own words. Yes, we're talking about Noel Mulkey. He is a huge TikTok star, a fantastic triathlete, but we're going to hear about how he got to even being a triathlete. And when you listen to him, some of what he said when I get into a hard run, I'm echoing back what he said thinking, you know what? I I can do this. So you're going to love what Noel has to say. And then if you don't follow on TikTok, you're going to want to follow him. We're also going to open the mailbag for some gift suggestions and how to manage the holidays and weight loss in healthier you. And then to all of you, as always, thank you for listening. Please subscribe, rate us, leave a review, tell your friends, and let's do this. All right, Carissa, uh, how was your Thanksgiving? We're taping this uh, about five or six days after Thanksgiving, I guess six. How was your Thanksgiving, to reiterate the question? Yes, it was fantastic. We actually still have some mashed potatoes in the fridge, and I just made some turkey uh, enchiladas that weren't ready Mm -hmm. in time for me to eat before this podcast. But we had a very low-key entire Thanksgiving weekend. My mom and guy, my stepdad came over. We didn't really do much. It was really nice, actually, to just be you know a little bit calm. We did... Oh, that thing you do where we spent so much time on the turkey and the basting and the cheesecloth, and then we tempt it and we took it out too early and it's resting and everything's ready. And what do you do, John? (laughs) You cut into the turkey and... Oh goodness gracious! So Uh, you know what? That's the I always tell people that's the most difficult thing. I love I love to cook, but the more dishes you have, trying to get what you know, and I will fully admit, just cheating. I, I. the soul of the, yes, the resting soul of Anthony Bourdain should come down and beat the crap out of me. That one thing I, I, I try to do is find at least one thing I can just microwave. Cause it's like, all right, I gotta, I gotta hold off here. Cause just trying to balance. And uh, now when I get my new stove, which by the way did not come, oh, uh, no. they, they, they reached out to me on, on Thanksgiving morning. So happy flipping Thanksgiving, John. <laughs> For and let me out. know. That it was not going to be here until the 22nd of December. So there were no air fryer oh. wings for John on, on his day off on Saturday. This uh, is a bummer for you. I know. But once I get that and I have like five burners instead of only four, I Some think I'll be able warm, to balance that. But it's, 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 the, it's the big, particularly when you're on your own. When you're, and I like to cook by myself, um, but I'm just far too scattered. They're invariably something's going to be a side dish for tomorrow and not today. <laughs> yeah, I told Weston that next year if we do it, we need to kind of delegate better. Like I'm just cooking and you're just plating and working on sort of the timing. And then the way our house is a new build, the way the new builds are, the kitchen is right in the middle of everything. So you can't let it get too messy. You've almost got to like keep washing dishes and putting them away or else it just looks yeah. horrible. So it was good. It was low key. Everything was fine. Didn't do the... Uh, crock pot mashed potatoes the mashed potatoes were good uh john your thanksgiving was more of a marathon of work over there at the espn events invitational how was it for you 
Uh, it was, well, we had, uh, we had good games and that was all fun. It's just a, uh, you know, they try to shorten that day as much as possible, um, for the student athletes to have, you know, an extended, uh, you know, either after their games or before that they can get a, a, a fairly decent Thanksgiving in. And sadly, sometimes that squeezes me out of having a Thanksgiving. So I did enjoy the apple and cheese that I brought myself to work and, uh, the, the Nutrigrain bar, and uh, I did, uh, thanks, thanks to Kim, the official scorer, she gave me some peanut butter uh, crackers. So that was nice. Well, Johnny, I do want to say you had, how many games did you do over that three-period time? Twelve games, four, day, four games a day. I mean, and you are the PA, which if you, you've ever never, it's probably that voice that you hear at a, a game and you don't think about it. But right. John, to his credit, worked really hard. And when I got there, I saw Brian, our entertainment manager, and I was like, how's Johnny doing? And he was like, John's just so good. And you were mentioning all before we came on that your throat was a little bit hoarse because when there's a big crowd and someone hits a three, you're really putting a lot of be- yeah. voice behind that. And then when you say it, it, you know, that's what Brian was alluding to. The way you say it, you bring the crowd in. Right. It's one of the one of the challenges of doing a tournament like that is normally, uh, you know, PA announcer has a rooting interest for one team. The the season I was lucky enough to do the Toronto Raptors and you and Weston were nice enough to come down and see me. Uh, the two of you and one other friend and my wife. That's it. None of my other friends. No, no one came by to see it. No one. You know, t- good tickets were available. And wait uh, but, a second. Uh, I came to see you and now you have a book. So we'll talk about that later. I know. I know. I know. Honestly, I feel like finally, finally, I've earned I've earned my keep with you. <sighs> But uh, it, uh, so when you do that, you know, you, you're really hyping, obviously, if you're doing the Toronto Raptors. When the Raptors score, you know, Lakers, Knicks, whomever else, not so much. Yeah. You know, in fact, you under I like to underplay it a, a little so it's almost humorous. Yeah, I like not that. Like impressed I am by that. Um, but when you're doing a tournament like this, you don't have a rooting interest. So, you know, teams down 17 with four minutes left to, to go and a kid drains a deep three. You're still hyping it. So, yeah, it took a little bit out of my voice, I have to admit. So I apologize to those of you listening. It's more annoying than it normally is. Well, you have time to recover before before a marathon weekend, John. But you had a big a big week because as, as much as you would like to do a history podcast, this, this <laughs> is not it. Uh, but it was the anniversary of the Kennedy assassination, something that invariably comes up in the trailer once every marathon, once every Disney weekend. So I'm going to give you the floor with a time limit to share a little bit about not how you celebrate it, but <laughs> are you here, setting here, a timer? My, I'm, I'm timing. I'm hold on. Okay. I'm, I'm getting Ladies my timing Ladies and gentlemen, device. please welcome to the 321 Go History Moment with John Pelkey. John, the floor is yours to talk about the Kennedy assassination. Okay, just want to say it was the 60th anniversary of the Kennedy assassination. And uh, first, I'll give my personal spin, because I posted this on social media, and those of you who follow me, I got a lot of really, really positive responses. And if you, Don, it's okay to go over three minutes, but if I get bored, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push you. Ta- you're, you're cutting into my time. I'm you are cutting into my time. Um, so anyway, uh, for those of you who don't know, my dad worked at the White House for 28 years, uh, from 1957 to 1985. So he was obviously there in 1963. Uh, when Jack Kennedy was assassinated. However, he was not at work that day because that was the day that my parents found out they were pregnant with the child, and that child being me. Um, and my dad found out uh, on the way home on the radio, like a lot of people found out uh, back then, that the Ken- uh, that President Kennedy had been killed. So he had to drop my mom off, uh, 
obviously muting the celebration of going to have a child, and then had to go back down to uh, work at the White House to wait for Jack Kennedy's casket to come in so he could light it. And uh, my dad was an electrician. He did entertainment lighting and lighting for events. So he could light the casket in the East Room of the White House for the television cameras because they actually filmed people coming in and mourning when he was lying in repose at uh, in, in the East Room. So anyway, big, big day for my family because that happened. And also a, a side story that uh, you, you look so bored already. A side story that uh, to that is our ex-Run uh, Disney director, John Phelan, who has since retired and is enjoying his retirement. Um, his father was a professor at Catholic University, and one of the things he taught was stage lighting. My dad had been sent to Catholic to learn stage lighting when he was working at the White House a couple of years before the Kennedy assassination, I believe. Um, and it turns out that John Phelan's father was not only his teacher, but he actually came in on Friday, November 22nd, 1963, to help, uh, it was probably actually the 23rd by the time they did it, but uh, to help light the casket. And we found this out years later, not knowing that they, they'd even had any connection. Um, but there you go. Uh, that said, there's my personal thing, which is cut in two minutes and four seconds, not shaving off the time that you uh, that you uh, used. But I will say there was a new documentary called What the Doctors Saw, and I had been converted to the belief that Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone uh, and that all of the cover-up stuff was simply because the CIA and the FBI and Secret Service had kind of fumbled the ball on knowing that this guy who was a rogue guy uh, was in Dallas at that time and working along the motorcade route. Um, but uh, what the doctor saw, the new documentary, uh, it opens some other uh, some other questions for me. I believe it's on Paramount Plus if you have a, a chance to see it. But it changes my opinion a little bit in this 60th year. And scene 245-28. Wow. Come on. I, I do actually, I'm intrigued now. I want to hear more about what you... You now believe, or now what is this? Do you believe this documentary was skewed and trying to get you to believe that, or you believe it was fair and unbiased? Uh, no, I mean I have I have done I know, a, a lot. I have wasted so many hours of my life reading books about the Kennedy assassination. It is more, it did for whatever reason I have an obsession with it. I think my personal story has a lot to do with it. Um, and uh, I had initially been a conspiracy guy through the years. Uh, some things were explained a little better. Uh, at least I thought they had been by the magic bullet uh, theory was uh, kind of cleared up a little bit for me at that time. Um, I enjoyed Oliver Stone's JFK. It's one of my favorite films. I don't think necessarily it's a particularly honest film when it comes to the true facts of the Kennedy assassination. But I do think that as we have gotten more information and particularly with these doctors who were at Parkland, the first uh, people to see the president after he'd been shot, medical professionals. Um, it, it opens up some questions as to whether or not what we, uh, what the Warren Commission said was, was true. Lee Harvey Oswald was indeed, uh, the only shooter, if the shooter at all. This is this is fascinating because I just I just want to know I don't want to watch all the things I just want a definitive answer which we're probably never going to have so no and I've always said you know I always thought that it was definitive because I grew up in the Washington D.C. area and the joke is if two people in Washington know anything two hundred thousand people are going to know within you know a very yeah. short period of time so to keep that all bottled up over the sixty years is is kind of amazing but. Again, we find out new things, and 60 years is a blink of an eye, really, in, 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 you know, in terms of history, and we're still learning things about things that happened in preceding centuries. So. I mean, can you imagine and if it happened now, centuries. though, all the cell phone videos, all the, you know, everything that went on, and, and how quickly we would be able to see with cameras well, and, and everything? 
without stepping over a political line, I see what can happen when you get uh, skewed reporting on even what you see. That People is can true. be convinced. Uh, mass, you, uh, mass psychology speaks to the fact that you can be convinced that your eyes are deceiving you. And uh, so while I think we would have had more than just Abraham Zepruder's film and the other few films that exist around Dealey Plaza, uh, we probably have 400 uh, shots of what was happening. Uh, but would we would we still ask for a conspiracy? One of the great um, quotes about the uh, Kennedy assassination that I heard, I think I think it was from Walter Cronkite saying, you know, the reason people look for a conspiracy is because it's it's sometimes difficult to wrap your head around the fact that just this single loner, this one guy, and if you look into Oswald's past, what we know of it, uh, he just seemed like this sort of single loner kid who'd had a really kind of questionable upbringing. Uh, he could bring down the most powerful man in the world, then, oh my God, we're presented with our own mortality and how, how uh, uh, you know, life does live, live on a knife's edge. Um, so you know, I'd always kind of believe that, but now this new documentary, which I'm sure is just manipulating me, me among the tens of people still this interested in the Kennedy assassination. I guarantee you there's going to be, I'm going to say four people that have enjoyed this discussion. <laughs> well, I, I, hopefully if you're one of them, we only need to get two more. So there we go. Okay, good. There we go. I feel, I feel good. And if Riley listens, which sometimes he does, maybe he'll. Is, is Riley on board with the Kennedy stuff, or that's just you? Oh, no, no, no. He, he is as well. It's, if you're a, a person of a certain age, if you were born in, as I was, 1964, Mark Ferreira, our director, 1960, if you were born in, in the 60s, I think, the Kennedy assassination, because the Zapruder film finally became available for people to see for the first time. Um, Geraldo Rivera did it on a television show in 1975. So I was around 11 years old. And you know when you're that age, you know, pop culture things yeah. that happened have an indelible mark on you. So, And, and we talked miss, about it a lot in school. Yeah, I miss, like you're saying, you know, Geraldo, you saw that. We're inundated now with the ways to consume media. So we don't have the same shared experience, I think, as right. we used to have. Like I can say TGIF to my generation, ABC, Family Matters, Full House, Step by Step. We know that because that was what was on, Saturday morning cartoons. Those things don't exist anymore. You can watch whatever you want at any time. And it does dilute the shared dialogue that, that we can have as we, as we go on. Well, the historian uh, John Meacham, who is a favorite of mine, talked about that, how we uh, we don't know each other anymore because we don't have to. We don't, you know, you don't have to go and find out what type of music someone loves uh, because they're playing in, in their car next to you. Or we, We've all got earbuds in and we're listening to what we want to listen to. Mm-hmm. And just uh, we consume our media in so many different ways. And uh and yeah, constantly, it, 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 yeah. It, yeah, it just we we really don't, and it's sad. I don't, I don't even know the neighbors in my neighborhood, and I've been here over twenty years, uh, particularly well. A couple, yeah. you know, that you gravitate towards, but yeah, it's different different time, definitely. Well, speaking of social media, John, that brings us to our next point. Uh, yes, I, I have a question about, and this was you. We, you know, we write out a mini little script about what we're going to talk about, but this would have been a question that I would have had to ask you because I absolutely do not know the answer to this. What is Cameo? So Cameo is an app where you can request some of your favorite, there's air quotes here, celebrities, B-list celebrity notables to send you a personal video. So you're paying a nominal fee. Maybe it's $20. Maybe it's for more important people, 200 some dollars. But you can say, I want, you know, Jody loves an actor of some reality show, some obscure. And so you pay for him to do a funny joke for Jody's birthday and you pay 30 bucks for it. You can get that on Cameo. Jeff Galloway can give you a pep talk 
on Cameo. And now I, Carissa Galloway, have created a Cameo account. I've done two so far. Wow. I've done a pep talk and I have tried to convince someone to not sign up for the 5K to sign up for the 10K because it's a better value. This is what I was asked to do. Wow. Wow. And you were getting no kick. You were getting your fee, but you were getting no kickback from any run Disney entity to do that. You were doing that out of the goodness of your heart and the fact that they're paying you to do it. Yeah. So we're trying to get you here on Cameo. Uh, You just, you could film a selfie video, John. You just say things that I think people should like ask you to like the opposite, like tell my mom, I don't have to do this. Like harness that sort of grumpier old men version of you. You know, John, tell me that I don't have to go run today. (laughs) Wow. And I could add on. And uh, for an additional $5, I will give you your interesting Kennedy assassination fact of the day. Yeah. So I sent you a link. But I think you are going to come over soon to do some recording. We're going to get you all set up on Cameo. It's actually okay. really simple, John, and and you might like it. I, you know what, I I, I think I might, and I, I should point out that I had a couple people reach out to to me over the weekend. Uh, some more folks from the Disney Day Drinkers, of course, my people, uh, reaching out to me, and a couple of other folks who knew me from Run Disney and who knew you as well from yeah. Run Disney when I you were great community. On yeah, Sunday, you circle back a little bit. You, me, DJ, CJ. It was like a run Disney reunion. It and really was. shout out to Riley and Tracy because I did the, the interviews. I was I was the Riley and Tracy. So just for those of you who think John and I have no versatility, that's wrong. <laughs> I can communicate with humans as well. Yeah, should shout out to Monica who was working for ESPN yeah. events and uh, was just very sweet and came up to me and said she was fangirling. So we had to s- discuss where she needed to raise the bar on her life in, in, in fangirling. Or get a cameo and, uh, uh was very excited to find out that you were going to be there as well and uh, was great uh, working with her the whole weekend and hopefully going to see her on, uh, I believe, Princess Weekend. For, for Monica, she will be back. Yep, and she's looking at getting into Disneyland uh, in the Halloween half, which is exciting. All right, before we wrap up this chat and get into our amazing conversation with Noel, Jen, we have a new sponsor that you and I have gotten to know firsthand. They're called Hyper Ice, and they have an amazing range of products that are designed for recovery. So I got to know them because they're part of all the Iron Man weekends, and so they have these boots called the Normatech boots that are full-leg boots that are compression, and they're designed, there's different types of uh, programs you can go through and basically designed to kind of move blood through you, help with recovery, all these kinds of things. So I fell in love with them because sometimes at Iron Man, we sneak off and we sit in the boots and like hope that no one notices us. (laughs) But Iron Man days, as I say over and over and over again, are so long. And I found that like when I would take the time to do the boots, my legs felt better because just standing all day really does sort of tire you out. So they are our new sponsor. So huge shout out to Hyperice. And they sent us both some cool gear. I got the Norma Tech Go, which are calf compression sleeves that are TSA approved. So instead of me having to take my giant boots with me when I travel, I can take these and use on my calves. And you also got uh, some gear too that I reluctantly gave to you. (laughs) That's right. You held on to it for a while, even though we live incredibly close together. And uh, you're about a, you know, I I would say about a 10K away from me, really, if you think about it. it. Within. Um, but yeah, I got the Hyper Ice Venom 2 back uh, support system, for lack of a better uh, term. Uh, huge uh, belt that will tighten to uh, alarmingly tight uh, uh, around me at times, which was really great because I do have a, a, an issue with my lower back. It also has heat and a number of massage settings. 
Uh, and I tell you what, the heat settings are amazing because even on two, I'm like, all right, well, that that's good and plenty. I don't think I've even gotten to three yet. And it is amazingly re- relaxing. And to your point, being on your feet all day, when I do a uh, a weekend at the uh, the Invitational, I'm sitting in a less than optimal chair for ex- excruciatingly long periods of time, as you know. And I do try to get up and down, but I came home with that after on Sunday night after you'd given it to me after keeping it for several days and using it yourself. Uh, I, I I came and put it on, and it was it, it was remarkable how quickly because normally I will put a little heating pad on my back and everything, but this the way I could just uh, the compression worked, the heat, and then the different massage things. Holy. Holy crap, I don't think I took it off. I think I fell asleep in the chair with it on and woke up hours later. So, fabulous. Yeah, so glad have- to have them aboard and thank them for the, for our gifts. Yes, so they've got a lot of great products, and they've got Cyber Monday deals happening right now through December 3rd. Go to hyperice.com, check that out, use the code 321GO. 321GO for more savings. And then once you get your products, share with us on Instagram how you recover. Okay, civilians, it's time for the goods. Let's get on to the interview. We're excited to welcome Noel Mulkey to 321GO. He's a top age group Ironman triathlete who won his age group this year at Ironman Tulsa. He's competed in the last two Ironman World Championships. He has over 1.5 million followers on TikTok. And you guys, he's here with us. Hi, Noel. How are you and where are you? Hi, Carissa. Hi. I am in uh, Vermont. Um, I'm in a little town called St. Albans, Vermont. Um, and uh, thank you for the intro. Well, if you notice, there's something that I left out of your intro, something that I didn't want to even tease people because I think your story blows people's mind. It's it's an unbelievable story of how where you were to Ironman champion. So you can you tell us a little bit about your journey to the 2023 version of Noel? Yeah. So I guess it, it yeah, it is a long story. Um no, and- but it's a you it's an it's, it's sh- I just didn't want to tell your story because I think when you tell it 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 literally will blow people away. It's remarkable. Yeah, thank you. I I do want to say also real quick uh Carissa uh, called me home at, I think like two Ironmans now. I know it was at Ironman Tulsa for sure. Um, and so that was the one, that was the one this year where I won my age group, which was really cool. So really that's awesome. always fun. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's like, really- and that's not a small thing to do for those people listening who are not Ironman people. Like John, you know, my husband is a fantastic athlete. He gets like 20th in his age group to win your age group at an Ironman is amazing. And what was your time in Tulsa? 9.31, but it, it it's slower than my fastest time, but that but, was a okay, hard day. So to go sub 10 also, John, is a dream that Weston doesn't even have because it's that hard. It's so hard <laughs> to do. So you're amazing. Let's hear your story. We'll shut Thank up. Thank you. Yeah, no. So I am um, way before triathlon, way before I found this addiction, I will call it. I was a, um, I back in, I grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma and I went to a high school. I, I was pretty, I had a really good childhood, but when I got into high school, I had a really bad, I got really deep into substance abuse. I come from a substance abuse, drug abuse background. Um, when I was towards the end of high school, and I say high school is because it's, it's kind of fuzzy. Like I remember the first time I went to rehab was when I was 18. So right out of high school. But the first time I ever uh, was, the first time I ever tried 
serious, I would say a serious drug, um, which was my drug of choice was heroin. Uh, I was 16 years old and someone in my class um, kind of taught me how to inject it because that was how, how I was. I was an IV drug. I was an IV uh, heroin user. Um, and I guess what happened was, was at the time, which I know now and what I, what I preach about now, what I share my story with is how at the time I've always had an underlying mental health issue. And one of my, my brand now is like, I'm literally wearing a shirt called Null Soul because I try to be a huge mental health advocate because I was self-medicating. Um, and this is down the line. Uh, all of this, all of this stems from self-medicating, um, a mental, uh, a mental health. I I'm, bipolar. I, I'm bipolar two disorder is what I was diagnosed with finally. But the reason, um, long story, well, a long story, but, uh, yeah. So that was kind of my escape. Um, drugs are my escape. And then once I started, I have a very addictive personality, which is why triathlon is perfect for someone like me because it's a very addictive sport, but there's also, you can always be doing something better. You can always be doing something in this sport to get better. You can always go for a swim. You can always go for a bike. And the, so there's, there's a lot of, um, aspects of triathlon, which really correlate back to how I used to live my life. But obviously this is way healthier, <laughs> the way healthier way of it, uh, of living. But yeah, no. So, and I was, um, I got the, after I started experimenting which, and I had a really good childhood. Um, I, there wasn't really a, a catalyst that started. I didn't have like a big traumatic, I didn't have like a big traumatic event that start. I started using drugs. I just went to a high school with people who were all using drugs. It was just a really kind of everyone, like that's what people looked forward to. It was a, it was Tulsa, Oklahoma. It wasn't a horrible place to grow up, but um, it just kind of, for me, that's like all I looked forward to was getting high. That's the only thing I like liked doing all day. Um, I would go to school and I was still functioning. I, I passed, I, I graduated high school, but um, I got to a point where like the only thing I was looking forward to was um, using. And I went to, um, I went to, yeah. So I, I, I got down to a, at the worst of it, two rehabs later, two, after two rehabs, I was interventioned. I was told to go to, um, rehab. I spent a year in Florida trying to get better. Uh, it didn't work, uh, because I got, I came home worse than I left, but at my height, at the height of my addiction, I was, um, at a $500 a day heroin habit, probably couldn't go more than three or four hours without using. Um, and it got to where I didn't really have any more options. I, I, I was done myself. I had no options. I had no money. I had no, I had no aspirations. I was miserable. I had been doing this for like eight years now. I say, I say eight years because I think I stopped when I was like 20 and I started, I, I want to say I started at the beginning, like right after middle school. So, so yeah, like eight years. Um, but yeah, I, I got to where I had no aspirations. No, I was, I was extremely unhealthy. I, I could barely walk up the stairs without going out of breath. I, my veins were all messed up. Um, it just was a really miserable, awful way to live. And I was sick of waking up sick. Um, and so I think one of the biggest things I always try to tell people who are still in active addiction is you don't, you're not, you necessarily, like, it's not going to happen unless you want it to happen yourself. I feel like, I feel like that's a, it's a hard truth to hear. It's if that, if the addict, if you're, 
you're not going to change. Like some, someone, some outside force can't make you change. You have to want to do it yourself. Um, but that's a whole other can of worms. But yeah, so what happened was I went to, um, I finally detoxed. It was the worst, it was the worst 24 hours. The most painful thing I've ever been through, uh, was opiate withdrawal, um, from that heavy of use. More painful than an Iron Man. I actually sometimes, this is so dark, Carissa. This is very dark. I think of that sometimes when I'm out there suffering. I'm like, this is nothing compared to what you have been through. And because um, Ironmans get really hard, but it's like, is this really that hard? No, this is amazing to be out there and doing this right now, as opposed to, but like, I remember at some of the darkest parts, I've done 10 now. So the darkest parts of the marathon, I'm like, this is like not anything compared to what has happened. Like, this is nothing. And so I always kind of, draw off of that experience because that was horrible. Um, yeah. So around 20, I finally got, I finally, um, I went through detox. I went to a detox facility and I was, um, finally for the first time in years, uh, I I think I want to say since I was like 13, 14, um, whatever age you are in eighth grade, I don't know, very young. Um, I was finally clear. I was clear, clear, level-headed, not, um, not on any, I was, but the thing was, I was sober from substances. I was very sober from substances, but I was, I had no aspirations. I had no aspirations. I was just like, just, okay, now what? Like I, I wasn't going to school. I didn't have anything to look forward to. I had nothing going for me. Um, I, I kind of got to where instead of, and actually this is a big thing from people in recovery. What happens to them is they, kind of replace drugs with food um, or some, they're not, they're not. So I, I gained quite a bit of weight when I first started. Um, uh, when I first was in recovery, I gained a lot of weight. Um, I, for me, I gained a lot of weight. Um, and it was like, it was like six months into sobriety when I looked at myself and I was like, wow, I've never been this big. I, I wasn't fat, but I, I, for me, I, I, I was very big and I hated how I looked. And I and even, if people look at you and I, I know your parents, like your, your genetics are, are very, you're genetically thin. the size that you are now. Yeah. 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 So I, Not I hate thin, when people yeah, try to like quantify like, yeah. you can't feel like you were overweight. Like for you, you were at a place that wasn't comfortable. Yes. Yes. That's, that's exactly the way to put it. Yeah. Cause like, yeah, I don't come from a family with like, we all, my parents are both athletes, my, my twins an athlete. And so like we, and so for me, it was just like, I don't think, yeah, I just, I wasn't comfortable in my own skin. I hated going out. I just like, I've, I've just never looked this big. And, um, anyway, so what happened was I decided one day to go on a run. Literally, I just was like, I want to go on a run. My parents both have running backgrounds. Actually, my mom has a triathlon background. Um, and I went around the, I, I went outside, it was like 8 PM at night. I'd done nothing all day, but just lay in bed and just kind of miserable and eat. Um, I went around the block. I could barely make it around the block. I went like, it was like, it was like less than 400 meters or something or whatever a block is like a little over what a one lap of the track. And I could barely make it without walk. I didn't make it without stopping, uh, to walk, but I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Um, and I went from that day from that day to, uh, from that day, like the next few weeks, I went from running nothing to running 60, 70 mile weeks, which is huge for no base. So it was, and I, um, yeah, I just became obsessed. I came immediately hooked on running. I loved it. Um, and my dad had suggested, so he suggested after like, 
a little over three months of this, of just running 60, 70 mile weeks, I, my dad was like, you're going to get injured. He knows he's a doctor. He, he was an ultra runner. He knew like, this is a really bad, um, like he's like, we, they, my parents envisioned, like if I got injured, maybe I would slip back into and just yeah. not be, because that was my new outlet. And he suggested going to a lab and getting a VO2 max test and getting like, he just said, let's go do some stuff to see like what you're capable of. And cause he was, he worked at a, at a clinic at the time. And I went to go do to this sports medicine facility and we did a few tests and I turned out my VO2 is like really good, especially at the time I was still not in shape at all. Um, uh, and, and so the guy there suggested, Hey, substitute some running with biking. My dad had a bike. Um, I think what had also happened was, oh, I know what happened was, so I lost in those three months, I was just running like crazy. I also, uh, was obsessed with eating. Like I, all I had for lunch was salad. All I had for dinner was salad and pro, uh, salad and grilled chicken and a smoothie for breakfast. I, I gained, I lost 58 pounds in three months. Um, and yeah, I was, I was getting a little too thin and I was just obsessed with it. Um, I wasn't really obsessed with performance. I just wanted to lose weight, um, which is also very unhealthy, very unhealthy way to live. Um, and so he, he suggested getting on a bike. I, I swam one year in middle school, which for some reason has stuck with me. Um, that one year I swam competitively in middle school. Um, and, uh, so I, I hopped back in the pool. I was a member of a gym. I went to a gym and I started swimming just one mile a day. And, and so I'm like now doing all these, all three of these things sort of. And we discovered that there's a triathlon. Um, we found a triathlon an hour and a half away called, it was the first capital triathlon in Guthrie, Oklahoma. It was just a sprint distance. I signed up for it and I came in third overall, my first ever, and I was first out of the water and I loved it. And I decided to sign up for another one later that summer, an Olympic distance in Toadsuck, Arkansas, because all these Midwest Arkansas, all these Midwest, um, <laughs> these Midwest little fun, little fun races. And um, I won it. So uh, that was the first overall. And it, and, I, and this is without really proper training. And so uh, I kind of became hooked. I finally, so I, I started understanding training. I, uh, a little into two years of it, I finally hired my first coach, which was, his name was Matt Hansen. He's a big, he's a big pro trap. He's a, he's a top pro right now. Um, and I was with him for four years and, and it's kind of just taken off. Um, all of this was before TikTok. All of this is before Instagram. Uh, I was on Instagram back when I first, but yeah, all this is before I even started sharing on social media and, um, and, that is a different part of the story that came sharing this on TikTok came from COVID and the pandemic. But before that, yeah, it had took off and I was um, kind of obsessed with triathlon. And so that's kind of where we're at now is with, with triathlon. Yeah. So. I, I, I want to, it, it lends me to a question because I, I go back to Noel, who you were yeah. and the fact that you were, you know, you had an opioid addiction, you had to fix every three hours, $500 a day. I can only imagine yeah. the amount of stress mentally 
that that puts on you as well as physically. And you've said, you know, you you have a tendency to have an addictive personality, obviously moving to food and now uh, and now with your exercise. But I was wondering how uh, how have you been able to find balance in your life between that personality that's a, a really part of it, allowing you to succeed in this, but also realizing that, at, boy, at some point the mind needs a yeah body notwithstanding needs a break. No, absolutely. Good question, John. Yeah, like, well, for one, this is where that mental health thing comes in because I I I get really into these um I get really into these um kind of episodes. Um I, I wanna say it's called uh so it, I was finally diagnosed correctly with bipolar two disorder. Um is this okay I talk about that? Well, we, we, I think no. you're going to, I mean, you know, okay, yeah. so I am people. on a stable regimen of, uh, medication. Um, but you're right. Um, I, I do think, so I, I, what I bring that up cause I, that helps a lot. Um, but I get these really, I think after so long of being obsessed with triathlon, obsessed with drugs, um, just like, I feel like I've got, and I'm only, I'm only 28. So there still could be a lot of stuff that happens, but I feel really kind of at peace now, like in terms of, I know what I like to do during the day. I have an income. It's like, there's not so much hustle, hustle, hustle for something that I feel like I've done a lot of stuff that there's no more. I like, like in the past, nothing ever felt like, especially with drug addiction, like you said, um, yeah, that's extremely mental, mentally taxing. You hate, you're like, Every other, you can just never relax because you're like, okay, I have to get, I, I'm going to be sick in a few hours if I don't get something or if I don't get money. And with triathlon, yeah, the first, and I actually kind of see it now with younger triathletes, like, or younger athletes who, and I, I say that, like, I'm, I, I, I was actually at a training camp with a, with a younger guy in Switzerland. He's 22 this last uh, right before Nice this summer. And I just saw kind of myself in him about how, what you said, John, about how it was so like, you don't have, like, he's just so enthusiastic and into it and like no room for like, he can't even like go out and enjoy like, uh, I don't know. It's just, he's so, and I feel like I've kind of moved past that also. I don't know if that has to do with me just maturing, but I do feel like, like a lot I'm just really at like, I'll do my fifth Ironman in Western Australia in December, just fifth for the year. So I've done, this will be my fifth this year. Um, which sounds like, but like, I know the distance, I know what I need to do to do it. There's no stress. It's just like, if something goes bad, like if something goes bad, like it's the worst you have is a bad race. That's a like, if the worst thing that's happening to you in life is your, walking an Ironman as opposed to running it and you're having a bad day, that's a pretty good life. So I don't think, it just doesn't seem like I have much to prove anymore. And maybe beforehand it felt kind of like, does that make sense? I don't know. No, I, th I think that you just talked yourself into a nice realization there. Like, uh, yeah. Kind of, like, I think that's called being happy, Noel. You're, you're, and you're allowed to have that, yeah. that, that <laughs> feeling. Um, I, I'm so excited. You know, you said, can I share about being bipolar? Uh, please, because there are people that might be listening or out there that 
might be dealing with some of those things. And I saw a video you had posted about like signs that are by yeah. that I didn't, I didn't know. And I think that's really eye opening. And you are, we'll talk about TikTok in a little bit, but you are a big <laughs> inspiration to others. Um, do you feel that? And have, have people told you like, Hey, no, you, you've changed my life. Yeah. I, some of these comments I get, um, I've actually screenshotted some of the ones that are like, wow, I never thought anyone would say that to me, say something like that to me. I do get comments quite a bit um, in my DMs or just on, and actually I, at one point I had a PO box. I have to get a new one, but I say that because I got some, some mail uh, from people uh, and some of these stories that I've heard, like, I, I, I just like, I can't believe I'm hearing this from people. Like someone said, I'm the reason they bought a bike. I'm, I got a, I got a, I I forgot where it was, but I got a message saying I'm the reason my videos are the reason they're still here from not, uh, I guess from, I guess they were implying that they might've, uh, uh, committed suicide. I, that was kind of what I guess they were, I'm pretty sure that's what they were implying because they were having a really hard time. I just, and that made, uh, that made me really, I was like, I can't really can't believe that I've but because I'm kind of just documenting just my life and just my personality and just, I don't really, but yeah, I get these comments sometimes that are just absolutely shocking. Like you're the reason I bought a bike. You're the reason I started running. Um, I can't, I, off the top of my head, I don't have, but I have a little folder that I, I screenshot and have a lot of my comments, um, that I'm like, wow, I don't want to lose this. Cause that I can't believe long from now, if TikTok's yeah. gone, if my following has died out, I want to see, like, check in and be like, I wonder how that person's doing. Cause that's really, so yeah, I do get a lot of messages that are like, I just, um, and, and then one reason, and another thing I want to say about that is because this sport does get super hard. And like, I always think like, I actually crashed, uh, I actually just did the Ironman world champs in France, which you were there. Um, there, I, yeah, yeah. Um, that was one of my I questions, crashed. but we're going to, yeah. Yeah. I crashed, but Every time I was, so I was a hundred percent not planning. I was, I got down the hill and I was like, got down the mountain, made it into T2, transition to before the marathon and was just going to go out and find my parents and say, I don't want to finish this. And just say, I wanted to, I was like, I'd rather just save it and just, and, but I didn't quit because I, and a lot of the times when I'm starting to think of that, I'm like, I think of my followers. I think of people who said they're, they want to do an Ironman. They would kill to do an Ironman. They loved, I've had someone who said she can't run anymore. She's in a hot, she's been, she spent the last like eight years in a hospital bed. She can't do much anymore with her body, but she lives vicariously through my videos. And I was like, I can't stop. I'm fine. I'm a little road rash. You know, I can't like quit these things. If you started it, you have to finish. And like, (laughs) I think of my followers, I think I'm a lot of the reason I'm even motivated to keep doing triathlon and keep doing it and hopefully keep doing it well is because of the, my little, my little community I've created. Cause I don't want to disappoint them. So, yeah. I have a question because, so I was, I just said in Nice, we're always yeah. tracking you guys. And I saw your parents waiting for the finish. I know that you had an exit, but I don't actually know the details. Yeah, I was, well, for, so that race, I, I think your husband, but your husband probably yeah, told you, it's right? terrifying. Like, it's crazy carnage. It was just carnage. There was just, and I kind of knew this would happen because I, so I've done the half, the, the half distance, the half Ironman there twice now. And, um, it's that same descent. And every time 
there's ambulances like yeah. down there. My husband that. said there were ambulances like right next <laughs> to the tunnel. Yes. I, you were probably long gone because he- No, no, I know what you're talking about. No, I saw that too. Um, I th- there, was a, there was a big tunnel and there was an ambulance right next to it. And there was I mean, John, guys. and it's a tunnel down a hill on a cliff yeah. and the tunnel's not super wide and it's made of stone and it's terrifying. It's terrifying. And also the barriers like- like there's no barriers. It's like, it's like a, it's like a little rock, like side. It's instead of like, you know how, like maybe in the USA, there'd be like a gate or like a, a those metal grates or something down yeah. mountain roads. It's just rock. like these little rocks. You can basically, you can easily just go flying off the edge. So uh, yeah, it's terrifying. And so there's, I saw, I saw a few crashes. I saw someone. So my crash happened further down, um, way further down. I think it was uh, an Ironman bike is 112 miles for those listening. I don't know. I crashed at like a mile 102. <laughs> so oh. I was like almost done. I was Uh-oh. like less than, uh, yeah. It, and that's what really kind of shocked me too. Cause I was like, I'm, I wasn't even, I was like already mentally ready for the marathon. I was not even thinking yeah. of the bike anymore. I was like, thank God that's over. The most, the, the most I was worried about this entire race was that bike because of crashing. <laughs> and so I came down a, I came down a, God, and that's the thing. I don't actually really remember a lot of it. Like, it's just so, it happened so fast. Like they do. I do know I crashed around 42 miles an hour because, um, it shows the stop and it shows my max speed. And I know I was go- going and what happened was I like my bottle bounced. I had a front bottle cage and it bounced and I tried to save it. And when I tried to save it, I kind of tilted to the right and just, just hit the, just hit the ground really hard. I remember my head smacking really hard. Um, which is I've crashed, I've crashed on my time. I've crashed five times now, like real crashes, um, <laughs> which sounds like a lot. Um, but this one, um, yeah, it kind of <laughs> rocked me. My my crash. I remember my hel- head slamming into the ground, like slamming. That helmet is amazing. It should be. It's a four hundred dollar helmet. <laughs> but and I was like, that's why. So they work. Those helmets work because I would absolutely be probably still in the hospital, still in a, a French hospital right now if I didn't have that helmet on. Because I have to get a new one because I think the integrity of it's gone. But yeah, I slammed really hard. Um, my entire side was ripped up. Um, uh, but what happened was, what's funny is I looked up for my crash. I screamed, uh, O F a very, ba- a very loud <laughs> expletive. <laughs> and then I looked up and there's an ambulance right there with another person. Another person was in the ambulance. He had, ju- he had just crashed also. And so I guess that corner might've been like a hot corner of people crashing because, uh, yeah. So I looked up and he's, li- there's another guy literally getting tended to in the ambulance. Um, they pulled my bike out of the side of the road and I said, um, can you guys do the concussion thing to like, I think there's like a test. If you look in someone's eyes with a light to see if they have a concussion, I said, can you do that? But they didn't understand what I meant. They didn't know what concussion <laughs> means. Cause they're all French. <laughs> yeah. I said, um, well, can I have some water? Le they concussion. said they don't have any water. It's no water. concussion. <laughs> Le yeah. concussion. They would have, they, they would have been right on top of it. No. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, and so then I was like, well, do you, I said, well, I'm like, I kind of walked around. I was like, I was definitely shaken up. I went to go examine my bike. My bike seemed fine. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to keep going. I'm just going to go. They said they wanted to keep me. They said they want to observe me for five minutes. And I said, uh, no, I'm going to keep going because honestly, I just, I didn't want to end the race in the back of an ambulance getting driven down. I was like that. I mean, it's only like eight miles. It was like only like eight miles left or 10 miles left. And it was all downhill. So I was like, I'll just ride in the T2 and just call it a day. 
Um, I didn't know I was gonna, at the time I was hundred percent convinced I'm not running a marathon. Um, uh, yeah. And so I came back down, went out, went out and, and, and was like, okay, I'm going to go find, I'm going to put on my run shoes to go find my parents. But the way the course is, the way the course is, they were in the VIP booth. And so the only way to go talk to them and tell them I'm quitting is to like cross the course. And I had banged up my knee pretty bad in the crash. And I would more so just selfishly, not maybe not selfishly. Like I just wanted to see if I can even run at all, like to see if I can get back to training the next day. I was like, okay, I don't care about, I'm like, I'm over this race. I just want to see if I can train still like tomorrow or something. And so I want to run like three or four miles just to test it out. And, but the course is four, six mile loops. So I made it past one loop and I was like to my parents, I came up to my parents and my friend, Chloe, I said, Hey, I think this is it for me. I'm just not, I crashed. This is the first time they heard that I crashed. My kit was all ripped up and they're like, no, you're not quitting. I said, I said, yeah, I'm done. They're like, no, you're not. You're not. Are you kidding? You're not quitting. I was like, it's a world champs. You can't quit. And then uh, I was like, uh, I was like, it was a really brief conversations with them, but I ran a second lap and said, that in the second lap, I came back and complained a little more. I was like, no, this is like really not for me today. <laughs> and then I was like, and then I did a third lap. And then by the time you did the third lap, you have yeah. one left. You might as well just <laughs> finish. So I finished and um, I'm really happy I finished, like really happy I finished. Uh, cause it, it's, I would be sitting right here being, telling you guys how trying to justify quit. And, and I was, I really was fine. I don't think anything really happened. I was very lucky to crash how I crashed. Um, my knee definitely took most of the impact, but it's fine now I'm back to full training and yeah. So that was my, I've, I've done two full distance world champs. I did Kona in 20, uh, Oh, last year, Kona in 2022. And it's so and confusing to remember years. Yes, it was 2022. <laughs> yeah, they're really was, confusing. Yeah, it is. It's, it's very, I mean, just but, older. And it's I not going to get easier, so. Noel, when you get older. It's going to get harder. <laughs> it gets harder, doesn't harder. it? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. So no, I want to say I've done two full distance world champs and both of them have gone pretty, they both have been world champ experiences. They both haven't gone great. They've both been extremely brutal days, but now, you know, like that's what you're there for. Yeah. <laughs> They're both with, just extremely brutal days. With Kona, well, they say, think, you know, I'm going, I'm going there on Monday. It's experience in Kona. You need to, the experience you get. Yes. Better. Oh, you are so, going. Okay. Yeah. Yes. I'm going, well, I'm going on. Yeah. I should be there now, but my daughter has a gymnastics meet. So anyway, uh, okay. I'll be there on Monday, but, um, you'll, you know, next year, Kona, should you qualify, which I know you will, um, it'll be better. Play on. Yeah, uh, it's just it's just remarkable remarkable to me that you you can push yourself past those uh, those roadblocks and and uh, again Weston told me all about that bike course and it's terrifying. It's like trying to watch. I can't watch the Tour de France when they're in the hills because I'm like this is not safe. Yeah. people. this is not. And it sounded just like that. All right, switching gears completely. You have yeah. become a TikTok star. Yeah. <laughs> can you remember the moment you were like, hey, this has become a thing? Yeah. So on good question, like on, so uh, apparently I looked up some, I did some statistics a while ago when the world shut down during the pandemic, uh, like it was like March, 2020, March, April, 2020, yeah. whatever that like big first pandemic wave was 300 million people got on TikTok. Um, and I was one of them. Cause I think we were all sitting in the house, like now what? And so I think it's something like 300 million users. I, I don't want to say it. That probably wasn't just in the U.S. Maybe that was worldwide. I don't know. Um, but anyways, join TikTok. And I was one of them. And um, 
I was just on it, just like I was like, wow, this is new. It's I was totally into Instagram back before that. And like that Instagram was just I was just trying to, but um, I remember posting a video about I, I had a few videos do pretty well. That's the thing with TikTok. You don't really know what does well. It just kind of all of a sudden something will go viral. And um, I posted a few random things that I thought were funny, like a skit or something that was funny, and one of them did pretty well. But one day I post and see it had nothing and I was it had nothing to do with triathlon what I had posted but one day I posted a video I said get ready with me for a 100 mile bike ride it was like a get ready with me video and um I just talked about how I got my bottles ready and my nutrition and like getting my bike ready and stuff and oh the response to that video was insane it got like 75,000 likes like people clicking the like button in like the first 2 hours um overnight i got like 100,000 followers um just from that one video and i was just shocked because to me a 100 mile bike this is where you have to remember like where you've come from because to me a 100 mile bike ride didn't seem like a big deal i had been i'm doing them i was doing it once a week in preparation for my first back then i had never even done a full ironman i was going to do because of the pandemic i was going to do ironman florida but um yeah i the comments were like what i don't even drive 100 miles how can you do a 100 mile bike ride i can't even and i was like oh yeah this is really like I, I assumed that none of this would be interesting i was like i don't think anyone cares about that like on tiktok and they did. They thought it was fascinating. They're like, and all these random questions like, hey, why do you put water in your bike? Hey, how do you, how do you put, just all these questions I thought like I don't even think of. And so that kind of became my niche. Um, and I got it at the right time because then I started posting videos like 45 days out from my first Ironman, 44 days out from my first Ironman. Now it seems like a lot. That seems like a, I don't, I'm not the original. I'm probably not the original. I do want to say I might be the original triathlete on TikTok. There's tons now, but um, <laughs> I, I don't know. But I, I I do think. But yeah, now everyone does get ready with me videos and stuff for in the triathlon world. Um, but it's interesting because I was like, I, I was just shocked that people had a good response to it because I thought no one would care, and um, it kind of took off from there. People were just fascinated with this type of lifestyle. They they couldn't fathom doing like. Um, a 12 mile run followed by like a, a 5k swim. They just thought it was really interesting. And so it was just a snowball effect with t- all social media is kind of a snowball effect. Once you start, you just get bigger and bigger. And um, yeah, so I finally got, um, um, yeah, so, so no, yeah. And then um, I, I realized it could become, I didn't really know how to monotonize it until um, actually at all. That's just, I don't know how people learn that stuff. I just, did it just through advice and kind of like, how do you, like, what do you, what do you, like, how would you charge for this? And it, and it kind of turned into a, I want to say a career. It's weird saying that, but um, yeah, it's, it's coming. I've turned it into a, it's it's a community now. It's a community really. And like, yeah. And it's, it's definitely completely changed my life. Um, Never in a million years. I was like, I just never, I didn't take it seriously. And then all of a sudden now it's a serious, like, oh yeah, you have to film all this for TikTok. Like it's yeah. And so now well, it's, I think, it's very I mean, I cool. Think- 
people discount how interesting. Now, your story obviously is pretty amazing coming from where you came, but people discount yeah. how uh, interested other people are in stories. It's why we go to the movies and watch television shows. It's stories about people. And then when they're real stories and it's something, you know, again, uh, distance running is, and I say this, do I say this on every podcast? The fastest growing participatory <laughs> yep. sport in, yep. in, in, I do. <laughs> All right. Well, see, now I'm getting notes during the show. Oh, it's is true. it? So, I didn't know that. Yeah, well, Pete yes. didn't know that. So there you go. Thank oh. you. Thank you. Yeah, I, I, I knew- so distant, long distance running is the fastest growing sport right now? Participatory, Participatory sport. So like the one that people, yeah. I don't I know. know. People, pickleball, pickleball's not going to take over running. There's, I, there's, you know, oh, pickleball's growing fast though. It is fun. I did That'd a fun. Noel does pickleball. Have you done that? I haven't done pickleball. I have not done it because my ankles are really bad. But I, one of my friends, I I have a friend who starts getting upset and she already broke her wrist from playing pickleball. So like, no, no pickleball. I know. And I was like, wow. And yeah, pickleball is everywhere nowadays. But that's really interesting. um, That running, I think that's really cool about running because it's just so simple. And that's why I don't know. I don't, it's just so simple. You just need shoes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You don't need a pickleball yeah. court. You got to go find a, I did a pickleball event in uh, Des Moines and it was just a great time, but you have to go to a pickleball mm-hmm. place and you don't, you don't with running. It, it's something anybody can take part in. And, and we are, we're seeing more and more of it. I do a lot of corporate 5Ks where it's a uh, team building for, uh, for the folks uh, to get out there and do it. And there's not, you know, it's, it's fun and it's helping one another. Uh, all right. Speaking of viral, Carissa has asked me to ask this question. So, She's either setting oh, yeah. me up to be fired uh, or something. <laughs> I'm supposed to ask about Air Canada. Air Canada. My, okay. Um, so my bike did not make it back um, from France. It did not make it back to the States. With My parents were going to take it back because they flew out to France to watch the race. And, um, I was going to stay afterwards for like five days to just, uh, vacation actually in rest. Um, and so they took it back and they called me and they're like, uh, no, we have some bad news. Cause they had made it back to the States and I was still in France and they called and said, your bike didn't show up. And I was like, what? And I was like, I obviously you hear stories about how this happens all the time. Uh, it, it happens. It just happens all the time. You hear stories. Um, it's, I've been, I've been very, very, very lucky to have never have a problem um, until I had a problem. <laughs> and one of the and one of the biggest things also was the pretty much the one time uh, everyone I don't know this is a, this is a only an audio podcast right? Um, but I have these air if if it's I have these I'm holding an air tag right here um, because I have three of them. I have three of them, and it didn't make it into the box. It didn't make it into my bike box. The one time I was, we were packing up, we were super tired. I didn't, I just didn't make it into my bike box anyways. But the thing is, okay. So long story short, um, air Canada did not, um, we called them for six days straight. They could not tell us where this bike was. They could not tell us where this bike was. Um, they, a huge neon green, big neon green, neon green, freaking green. Where is it? Yes. Where is this? And um, and they they outsourced their. Cu- I didn't know this. They outsourced their customer service. So every time we even talked to anyone from them, it was like someone who who's like, oh well, we have to transfer you here. We have to transfer you here. And we could not. They we even we would like call one hour and they would say, oh, it's in Nice. And then we call again. And they say, oh, it's in Montreal. Like the same day. Like they just could not tell. And so. 
that's when I finally took the, I, I did give them quite a bit of chance. Like we, we I didn't do it for like the first week. And then I, that's when I week, took to social week, media. John, yeah. A week. a week. And that's when I finally went, okay, I'm going to, I have social media. I'm going to use social media. And so I made the TikTok about it, made the Instagram about it. And it went pretty viral like these things normally do. And I got to go on the Canadian news. Like literally that day they called me and said, uh, we have a story. We, we, we love to put you on the Canadian news because apparently Air Canada has done this quite a few times. Um, they, apparently this is like, this is pretty normal for Air Canada. Apparently they've had, which I didn't know. I thought I was just about to sign up for uh, their point plan because mm-hmm. I live in Vermont now. And the Montreal airport's like right up the street. It's only an hour and a half away. And that's like right. the biggest international airport next to me. So, but anyways, literally right after we went on the news, the news asked their representative for a, like a comment before they run the story. They're like, can we um, do a comment about the story? Like, or can, do you have a comment before you run the story? And they said, oh, that bike's to Montreal. So... I want to say it was the power of social media who who did all that because I don't think they could care they could care less at all. Um, they gave us tickets. Uh, they gave us uh, for our if we use them again. They gave us a twenty five percent off uh, for our next flight. <laughs> so <laughs> you should be like you should give me twenty five percent value of the bike you lost for yeah. a week and a half because it's a yeah. sixteen plus thousand dollar bike. Yeah. Yeah, or like you know, a free flight. <laughs> oh my god, I just love that story, and I just think you used you you did and you did it. You didn't right away go. They're terrible. You guys, I, they were you guys were calling. You were sitting. Oh on the yeah, phone. we gave them a lot of chance, and then I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna put this on TikTok because I didn't want to. I I was thinking like I I don't know. I just and so it, it, the response was pretty swift. I'm telling you, if you ever have a problem with something, somebody like that, something like that well, <laughs> we on social a, media combined, we don't have like a quarter of a percent of your followers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but no, um, but it's interesting because like I yeah, it was like the one time I didn't use an Apple AirTag, like the one time and. And I will say, apparently from Finland, the the seventy point three World Ironman World Championships in Finland, um, a lot of people were having the same problems. Um, but all their airlines could tell them where it is. That what was fascinating to me is they couldn't even just tell me where it was. Like no one in their system could just be like, "It's here." They did not know. So that's, that's yeah. pretty shocking. You would that's think that's what kind of blows my mind as someone who flies a lot. Like. Yeah, that, that, I just, I just, I don't know. I love airlines. John and I like to talk about airlines and travel a lot. So, um, thank you for oh, helping same us. Same with me. Like, I and, love airlines. Like, I, I, I did. Um, Qantas lost my bike in Australia. Not lost it. They Qantas when I went to Australia last year for Western Australia, they my bike didn't show up, but they said, "Hey, we're gonna have it to you in two days. It's in X airport. Yeah. It's like in Sydney airport, and we're in Perth, and they're like, we're gonna have it shipped to Perth." Which and they gave me a free pajamas and stuff, which that was like the first time I ever experienced like missing a bag, and it was a bike, but it was cool because they were like it, it wasn't. Now I know like it can be really bad. Qantas was actually cool about it. They're like, we have yeah. it, we're gonna bring it to you. Give us your address, and so and now and and yeah, that's pretty. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, no, it's the fact that they couldn't find it is, is absolutely crazy. All right, we're almost gonna wrap, but I have one more question that I want to hear about. Uh, Noel and Coco. Yeah. You mentioned <laughs> Chloe. She was with you and Nice, but now you guys have a project together. Yeah, my team, Noel and Coco. Coco, Chloe is uh that's her nickname, is um a really good friend of mine. We we actually we actually recently met, like we recently, she's a, I would say a new chapter of life friend because we only met in 2021. 
Only very recently, but we hit it off. We're really good friends now. She's come to a few of my races. She's we go to training camps together. Um, we went to Africa together um, for a training camp, which was really bonding because that was a really interesting training camp. Um, but anyways, we she's a she's a two thirty three marathoner. At her first ever marathon, she did like a two. I want to say she did like a two thirty eight. Her first That's one, insane. and then her second ever a two thirty three. So. Crazy. Her that would have qualified marathon. her for the U.S. Olympic trials in 2020 because that was a 244 standard. So she's, she's oh yeah, oh yeah, and she yeah. runs. She's a she's for she works for the Royal Air Force. Like she's a badass um, uh, woman, and um, and I have my background, and she loves to coach. And I I actually had been coaching and kind of got out of it, and now we decided to kind of use both of our presence, use both of our knowledge to make a little team, and um, it's going to be a coaching team slash like international racing team. And it's just starting, um, but uh, it's kind of a, a work in progress. Where, um, yeah, it's just a, it's a that's kind of our idea. We're gonna um, hopefully have a few camps with uh, us two are the like the like we'll figure out where to go and stuff. But uh, yeah, it's um, a little coaching team. That's great. <laughs> awesome. Congrats on that. Yeah. That 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 is uh, that is great, and you're continuing to inspire people. But you know that's what we talk about a lot on this. And also, what is yeah. if you can if you can narrow it down? What's the most inspiring thing you've seen at a race from another competitor or something that uh, was inspiring to you? So it's not so. One of the most inspiring things I saw actually was at um, uh, also at Nice this year was. Um, um, I have a pretty good friend who's a, he's a pro, his name is Joe Skipper. Um, uh, we've been to a few training camps together and he, and the re and this is actually one of the reasons I also didn't quit was because he was probably, he, this is a, he, he put his whole season into this race into Ironman world champs in Nice. He, he thinks it was a good course for him. He thinks it was, um, he, he, he was probably one of the podium favorite he had to just be on the won podium. iron man lake placid just won iron man lake placid you know, was so super fit was fifth yeah. in kona the year before fifth in kona so. the year before just one of the pre-race favorites yeah. and he just had an awful day and i think what was inspiring for me is i've never seen joe have a bad day like if it's a bad day it's like he'll run a 251 instead of a 245 <laughs> marathon in an iron and um uh he was walking he was walking and i was like uh, and that was the first time I, I thought he was probably either finished or, or winning when I started the marathon, but he was walking. And I was like, I was like, he's not going to quit. I, I knew he, he just wouldn't quit. He would never walk off the course. A lot of pros. And I don't, I don't disrespect pros who walk off because it's their job. They need money. They want to save their themselves for another day, but that's not him. He just wouldn't do that. He says it's disrespectful to other competitors. And like, I don't know. I just thought that was super. He ran a three forty two, which for Joe is like, literally like crawling, like it's like pedestrian for, I mean, that's a very good, t respectable time for a lot of people, but for Joe, that would be, it's just not how, and so I saw him, um, as like, that's, that was inspiring to me. Cause it's just not a lot of the personalities I've seen in the sport, it, especially like ego and stuff. They wouldn't finish. They just call it a day and walk off. And, um, that's pretty cool that he didn't do that. Cause I think that might be his like worst race he's had in I don't know his whole career, maybe like because yeah. I mean half the age group guys beat him, so <laughs> not half, yeah. but yeah. and you know what it would be uh, to to your point, it would be understandable if someone in, on the professional level is like, you know what, I'm not going to put my body through anymore. But that 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 is yeah. very very I I inspiring. You know, we we talk a yeah. lot in this race about the elite runners and then the people who aren't elite, but it it's still a community yeah. of the same people trying to do the same thing, which is get to the finish line. 
that's Which, it. Yeah, that that really did kind of put it into perspective. Like he, this is like what an iron like that was probably his hardest Iron Man. Not the ones he's won. Probably the ones he's like he. That's what an Iron Man is. Is yeah. when you absolutely don't want to go and you still do he it. Emptied the tank. He so, emptied the tank. He emptied the tank. He emptied, just the emptied tank, it yeah. in a different place. Okay, right. no, we've talked. Wait, wait oh. I have one more question. That's not Please. the last oh, yeah. question. The last question is easy. Um, do you have aspirations of being a pro triathlete? Well, that's not super easy. <laughs> but no, it's a, the question's easy. It's not easy to do. But you have one. Your age group. I at one time I did think I could go pro. And, but they're just getting so fast. They're just getting so fast. And this is, and I am towards the end of this, this Western Australia will be my last race in this age group. Um, I don't know anymore. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, 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 at one time really, I will say Carissa, at one time I really want to go pro. Um, and like, then it's turned into like, what does pro even mean in this sport? Like does like this pro mean like it doesn't mean you're making a living from it does it mean you're like like actually being in contention i, yeah. I don't know um, we talked to pro triathletes you know last week we talked to Haley Chura and just oh. said it's not you're not making a living from it you're yeah, you're, you're not. not and i will say as an announcer so we get the pro triathletes list and there's maybe 40 of them i only need to know about 10 of them from an announcer yeah. and an interview point of view so do you want you know what i mean and i so i think about that too and some people yeah. just want to say they were a pro triathlete and then some people want to compete and know they can kind of move up into that. Let's that say end. I have I have some check some bucket list things I want to do first in age group still. I still want to get a bowl in Kona. I want to get a bowl. And I still I would like to try Kona at least one more time because you said it's a learning experience. Yeah. And if I go pro, that's a very slim shot of ever getting back to that island. Very, because you have to literally win a pro race or like come in a podium on a pro race. Yeah. Um, so I do want to try that again, uh, Kona again. Um, and I, I, so I have a few asterisks. I have a few things I want to do first in the age group field and then maybe, maybe step up. I have earned my pro card twice um, uh, from the USAT point system, but I've never taken it because so. Yeah, it's it's well, it's really exciting to think that might be down the line. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, yeah. well, isn't it isn't it amazing? I mean, you look at your story that you're in a position where you get to you get to make that choice. Perhaps yeah. We you started want to talking about heroin, and we're yeah. ending talking about a professional triathlete. Right. Do I want to be a professional or could well? Either way, no. What you're going to do is continue to inspire people. So let everybody know where they can follow you. you. And here's the old guy again. You know, on the yeah. internet machine, your social media, where they can follow you. <laughs> Yeah, just if you guys want to keep up with my story and who I am, I'm on Instagram. I'm on all socials. Uh, my name is Noel Mulkey. TikTok, Noel Mulk Zero. Instagram, Noel Mulkey. And I'm on YouTube and Facebook. Awesome. Thank you so much, Noel. I love hearing, I just, I always love hearing your story, talking to you, seeing your fabulous hair. And <laughs> I will be hopefully seeing you at an Ironman uh, in the next, yeah. in the next season. Yeah. Have fun in Kona. Wow. Thanks. I'm jealous. Yeah. <laughs> I'm jealous too. Thanks, Noel. Fine. You're welcome. Bye. All right, athletes. Here's the drill. Time to shape up your diet. Carissa, give them the goods. John, I haven't talked about Christmas enough. We're supposed to talk about Christmas and Taylor Swift <laughs> and, and airplanes in every episode. We've talked about airplanes. So the holidays, we are in it. Hallmark movies are abounding. 
I'm stressed. I'm eating, you know, holidays and weight loss. Sure. Holidays and weight gain. We talk about it. How do you fit on that spectrum of approaching the holidays with health? Do you do anything different? Uh, I think probably just pace myself when I do go uh, out to parties and such. Uh, you, you know, I don't have a sweet tooth, so I'm able to avoid, you know, that trap of just eating so many sweets. And uh, and then also eating later at night is uh, a problem now. So I, I don't really do anything more. Um, I, I don't really attack weight loss or anything during that. But I am aware because I know that I'm out more socially. I think I'm really more aware of what I'm eating than I am normal times. As I, Yeah, I, I think sometimes I that can happen. Favorite. Yeah, because you think so much about the holidays. Your holidays are abnormal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think we think so much about the big meals that maybe we do make better choices. So I've kind of got five tips for people to help. And that that's not even one of the tips, but yes. So the one thing I'll say is for people who really are trying to watch their weight or they're getting ready for dopey and they want to stay on that track is when you're thinking about a holiday meal or something, pick your favorite thing. So have that, enjoy that, indulge in that. And then if there's, you know, the mac and cheese, that's fine, but it's not great. Try to avoid those things, you know, pick and choose. Don't let it be a free for all every single time. I know that you've heard this before. It's not revolutionary, but don't skip meals to set yourself up for a bigger meal later in the day. You slow down your metabolic rate. You line yourself up for overeating when you get there. So definitely don't do that. Pick protein about two hours before, you know, those bigger events. Add in activity. Make a walk with family like part of the after dinner before between dessert or make yourself like a little daily activity challenge where you're trying to do an extra 10 minutes of something maybe every day, even just a walk. You know what? That's actually, I just thought about that. I'm going to do that with the family. That's actually a good idea, John. Maybe it's the three, two, one holiday. Really good idea. Maybe I just created the three, two, one holiday activity challenge. Writing it down. As we're taping this, it's October, but this is going to air in November. So a uh, little behind the scenes. So activity. And and to you, it it really doesn't because it's Christmas. But I at least at have all. fall decorations up now. All right. So my other two tips. Right. One, alcohol calories add up. We drink more during this time of year. So track how many days you're drinking alcohol. It's just for awareness because that may help temper your choices if you're like, Wow, I've had alcohol seven days in a row, especially in that Christmas to New Year's gap. Right. Yeah, that one catches up to you. And the last one is to remember, especially if you're someone who doesn't usually eat a lot of sugar because you have a good discipline, but you do during the holidays, sugar consumption is addicting. So when you get to January and you're wanting to reshape your diet, but you're like, I just can't stop having sweets at night, remember that that is an actual genuine addiction. So just have that knowledge. You're going to have to work harder to get rid of it or just don't open up that jar of worms and really be mindful of your sugar consumption. But if you want to attack your diet in the new year, we can help you. You can use code podcast for $150 off Healthier You, which is a 12-week course. So we're getting nutrition education. We're tracking calories. We're finding out how many calories you need for weight loss. We're making progress. And here's the thing, John, I want people to think ahead for next year. So I know that that's a little bit off. If you're saying, Carissa, I don't want to sign up for a nutrition plan in December. Oh, no, I totally get you. So you can sign up now to start in January and use the code DOPEY 
And this is a secret code that I'm not telling everybody. And that's going to save you even more money than the podcast code. So it's a little Christmas gift, but you can buy it now. You can we'll activate you on January 1st or 2nd if you want. We'll have a chat, a brand new meal plan, and we'll get that sugar addiction out of here. Sounds good. Athletes, listen up. It's mail call time. Announcer free, present. All right, Sarge. Today's question is from Maddie, who is my hairstylist and Carissa's hairstylist and a podcast subscriber. And she wants to know how to dress for cold weather. Wedding. I guess Maddie's taking a trip. She lives two houses down from me and I'm not seeing cold weather in the near future anyway. Well, how do you like my, to dress, Carissa? I was getting my hair done with Maddie and we were talking about the podcast and she had a question about cold weather running. So I said, well, I want to see what John says when he realizes it's from Maddie. Um, so we put it in the podcast and she is a subscriber. Um, sometimes it does get chilly here, John. Marathon, I would say running in the 40s is chilly. I mean, as you get below 60, you do need to dress a little differently. And I would say in the 40s, what I've learned is you actually need less than you think you need. Um, so it's using layers. And then keeping those extremities warm. So gloves, if you're wearing, you know, a shorter sleeve shirt, maybe in the 40s, you want to make sure that you have gloves on. If you're wearing calf sleeves, those are going to help keep you warm. Even things like arm sleeves are going to be a good thing. But definitely as it gets cold and you look at the temperature and you're like, oh, I don't want to go outside. And this is obviously a Floridian telling you this advice. Use layers that you can take off because as I've heard from Jeff Galloway many times, you actually can overheat a lot in the cooler temperatures because you overdress. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up the glove thing, too, because I don't think we see enough of that in some of our really cold races. People often aren't prepared for that. And I know that for me, just being out there, that uh, if my hands are cold, then that that really sets me back. So be smart, wear layers. And, uh, you know, if you're if you're coming out to one run Disney races and you've got like old sweater, sweatshirt or something you throw over the uh over the railing or into the pile of uh, Mylar blankets, which may be very, this may be the first Mylar blanket reference on this podcast, which really, really would be amazing, quite frankly, because we'll get into that as it gets colder. But uh, the, the, that clothing is reused. That's taken, uh, uh, those are all clicking out. Uh, so folks, less fortunate people have some clothing to choose from. So there's a good reason for it as well. Uh, we, you know, we, we usually get about one weekend a year where we really have to about that. So Thanks for the question, Maddie, though. Greatly appreciated. And my hair looks great, by the way, as does yours. So, so thanks, weird. Maddie. I don't think any, we need to talk about that on stage that we have the same hairstylist. I don't think people would believe that. <laughs> I know. And I was, I was actually not going to another hairstylist. And uh, uh, I, actually, Maddie, she painted our, she's a great artist. She painted our mailbox and everything. I didn't even really know she was a hairstylist until later. And you already had engaged her as your stylist. So uh, I brought uh, my hair uh, to her and she does a great job. So shout out to her. And she also walks her dogs by uh, once to twice a day so that my dogs will go absolutely uh, ape crap nuts when they see uh, her dogs walking by. So we thank her for that. If you have any questions, you want to send uh, send us a, a message, throw us a note uh, from a race. Please do that at 321gopodcast at gmail.com. How about that? How about me getting that in? You did. Huh? Great job. But yeah, throw us a note at, at, a, at a, the start line. We throw us a haiku, a note, uh, you know, all the things. Haiku would be cool. Yeah, that would be cool. That'd be fun. We, we need... 
we we thought about having a a, a club here for the for the podcast. So that's something we uh, maybe we maybe we need to slide into that. Get a little more literary, so we get a little some haikus and let's, how quickly let's we up, forget. Let's up the ante here. Let's What's that? How quickly we forget about right, our book fair club. Enough. <laughs> All right, you guys, thanks for listening. Thank you to Noel for his amazing story. Make sure you guys follow him if you're not already. And uh, see you real soon. Bye-bye.